you guys, who was here last week? Anybody here last week? Okay, and you, and you came back this week. Thank you. That's very, very kind of you to do that. <laughs> I did not pay you, <laughs> but I will. Well, uh, I, for those of you who were here last week, I, uh, I hope that, um, that seeing the picture, just actually just seeing the detail that, that our Heavenly Father has gone through, that even in something as seemingly small as uh, extractions from a tree, uh, he can speak even to that of, of his son and of his crushing and of his bruising um, for us. And so, you know, the, the thought, um, he who was uh, whole was broken, crushed, as we see in that picture of the incense, so that we who were broken could be made whole. Uh, to see the beauty and the intimate care of God for us should overwhelm us and should, I mean, you know, as I'm, I'm studying for this and, 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 I, and I have my moments as well, which I'll share with you um, in a little bit, um, just to see the detail that is found beyond the words that the Spirit of God wants to reveal to us um, should enhance our love for him all the more and should enhance our love for his word all the more. And, and I pray that um, today as we, we just take a snapshot look uh, into the life of the man who by the power of God's spirit, the inspiration of God's spirit, wrote the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures and wrote a couple of psalms that, uh, that we will be all the more spurred on uh, deeper love for our Father and deeper hunger for Him to be found in His Word. Because we read His Word to find Him. If we're reading His Word for any other reason, we're, we're missing it. This Word is to reveal the Word. And, um, and I want to know that. As I've told you in the past, when I would read my wife's love letters to me, I wasn't interested um, if, if she was into perfume or something like that, you know, I'd be smelling the paper because I'd be wanting to experience her in the, pa in the stationery. But I'd hold on to every word because it gave me a better sense and love and awareness of her. And, uh, and how much more should that be when our Father gives us his word to reveal himself so, so let's pray, and, uh, and let's get into this, the word this morning. Father, um, thank you. Uh, thank you. It's just an effort, Lord, uh, to be opened all the more to say, God, how we need you. How we, how we pray to have the eyes of our understanding opened. And so as we spend these few moments together in your word, we acknowledge our great need for you and our great expectancy 
that as we open your word this morning, Lord, we're not just spending 45 minutes, Lord, just to mark that off. We went to Sunday school. We want and expect you, Lord. We're coming to you expecting that you will speak to us this morning. Reveal something of yourself to us. Reveal something of ourselves to us so that all the more we may find ourselves living and moving and having our being out from you who have now in us revealed yourself. And we pray you would reveal yourself and be glorified in and through us as you open your word and your heart to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, today we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to bounce back to, <clears throat> excuse me, I will be, <clears throat> I'll be clearing my throat much this morning. Uh, Wednesday, as Annette and I watched uh, our grandson read, he was very generous to share with me his cold. And um, even as a little one, he is already learning to give. Uh, <clears throat> so, we're going to look at a little bit of the life of Moses. Um, remember next week, Jason, two weeks of the incarnation or what are you doing one week. one week and that's next yeah. next sunday yeah. and then we'll be back into prayer mode after that until peter comes back is that right to, to, be, determined. to be determined okay all right so next week jason will be here and uh so excited about that hope you'll be here all right so we're going to be talking today a little bit about a makeover for moses all right, now we're not talking about Moses having his lashes done, his brows, no Botox in the forehead. Um, I, I, if, if some of y'all sit close to Net and me on the morning, she'll, uh, during worship, I'll, I often have the privilege of holding one of our grandchildren. And one Sunday morning, uh, I'm holding Titus. Now that's Abby and Sam's son. So if you know Titus at all, <clears throat> you know he speaks his mind as... Um, and he says to me very lovingly, very tenderly, as he's looking at my forehead, he says, Pop, I love your lines. <laughs> stripes, that's what it was, stripes. Was it stripes? Okay, Annette was right there, it was stripes. So, so I was thinking, maybe a little Botox in here. <laughs> Sorry, so anyway, uh, this is not the makeover that God has in my, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being critical of, Cosmetic help, not at all, but I'm saying this is not the makeover that God does, and it's not the makeover that God is doing in Moses here, um, and because we find that Moses, for 40 years of his life, he is living in the lap of luxury. I mean, the, the lifestyles of the rich and pharaohs is what he's, what he's, thank you, I knew you'd like that. Okay, so, so that's what he's living. He, he is living in the lap of luxury. Uh, he has the best education. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, this, man, this young man, it's a miracle that he's alive at all, right? He's supposed to be killed. The order of Pharaoh was to kill uh, the, the, the men, the, the, the boys that are being born. And, and um, uh, Amram and, and Jochebed, the mother and father, the father and the mother of, of, of Moses are able to somehow get him to, through the water, into Pharaoh's daughter's hands and Pharaoh's daughter accepts him. She, she present. I, I don't know whether she held, she hid her, Moses from her dad or not. Um, but we know that he grows up in the household of, of Pharaoh. And um, 
And, and in that, he, is, he must be exposed to the religion of Egypt. And Egypt is an incredibly religious, superstitious society. You see that I drew wrote in the notes here. The Egyptians considered sacred the lion, the ox, the ram, the wolf, the dog, the cat, the ibis, whatever that is, the vulture, the falcon, the hippopotamus, the crocodile, the cobra, the dolphin, different varieties of fish, trees, and small animals, including the frog, the scarab, the locust, and, on, and other insects, and, and at, at this time of year, the partridge in a pear tree. Um, <laughs> in addition to these, there were anthropomorphic, I love that word, gods, that is, men in the prime of life, such as blah, 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 blah. So we could see that they, they worship just about everything. And not, not only that, but the second quote I have, even Pharaoh was a god, always the son of Amun-Ra, ruling not merely by divine right, but by divine birth, as a deity transiently tolerating the earth as his home. On his head was the falcon, symbol of Horus and totem of the tribe. From his forehead rose the Uraeus, or serpent, symbol of wisdom and life, and communicating magic virtues to the crown. And so we see Moses is brought up in an incredibly anything but monotheistic society. And so we have no reason to believe that there's not, there's not teaching that being poured into him is not something of his Hebrew tradition, but we also know that really being poured into him into the culture is an incredibly polytheistic and superstitious, superstitious and clearly demonic world. And so in the midst of that, there must be some, something that God has spoken to Moses. He knows his people are the Hebrews, so he is among them, but he is not of them, right? Okay? He is a Hebrew, but he is not living with them. And, he, and one day decides to take matters into his own hands. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, verse 11. One of his brethren, so he looked. It's interesting that you know, Moses is telling on himself here. Do you, do you see that? We don't see Moses bragging on himself in any way here. He doesn't talk about how he rose up into the house of Pharaoh. We don't see any of that. But we do see that, that Moses one day is amongst his people and he decides to take things into his own hands, matters. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. See, it, we, we see much of Moses here, don't we? He's looking to see who is looking. And when he finds that no one is looking, he's clearly not concerned about God looking, okay? He's concerned about on a, on a transient horizontal plane that no one is looking. And when he finds that no one is looking, he kills somebody. It's interesting something for you and me to think about in terms of where do we look when we make our decisions? What are we trying to determine to find who is peering in on what we're doing. If you and I are looking to the left and the right this way, we know whom we're fearing more than God. Think about that. When you and I choose to look this way and that way and not that way, we have at that moment shown who our God is. That should affect us. It should affect me. See, if you could have seen me, my wife is aware of this, 
um, as I prepared for this, was preparing on Friday night, and suddenly before my wondering eyes does appear, or I should say disappear, all of my notes just disappeared from the computer. At that moment, if you'd have been in the room with me, I'd have been much different. <laughs> so, um, so uh, as, as we journey through these two verses here, let's not run past this. Let's ask, Spirit of God, stake this in my heart. Am I looking this way and that way? Does that motivate how I determine what I do and don't do? Fully forgetting that the very God of glory is always with me? And so that decision ends up Moses on the backside of the desert for 40 years, yet fully under the direction of God's divine providence. We, we see here he, it's a wife, children, and then he takes up the life of a shepherd. And just another day at work on the back 40 until a fire breaks out. And so Moses is just about doing what he does. It's his job. He's doing his job. He's watching sheep. He's doing what he is doing to make a living. That's what Moses does. The thought of Egypt is far away from him. The pleasures, the luxury, the honor of Egypt is gone, and he is now schlepping sheep on the backside of the desert. And suddenly, something not so strange happens because in the desert, you'll have bushes spontaneously combusting as a common event. But what is not common is a, a bush combusting spontaneously and continuing to burn. And this catches Moses' attention. You can see this, so verse three. So Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And he said, uh, pardon me, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said to him, here I am. Here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Just a little tidbit here from this as well. Verse 4 again. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. Now you and I think, should think about that. In the midst of our busy worlds, midst of our busy lives, we often wonder, why does God not seem to hear me when I'm asking him for something? Well, I would encourage us to maybe grasp something from this little bit of scripture. When the Lord saw, see, Moses saw, right? He saw something happening. But the Lord had to see something too. Moses turned aside 
to see the, the burning bush. But when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to pay attention, it's that, that is when he spoke to him. The challenge that you and I have as believers is that in the midst of what we're doing, we too rarely turn aside to see the marvel of this God who is wanting to speak to us and call to us and confirm to us his calling in our lives. So that in the midst of what we're doing, we hear him. In the midst of our day-to-day, we are honoring him, exalting him, loving him. And so Moses turns aside, and there begins an interesting dialogue. Moses hears that God is interested in Moses' people. He tells Moses in verse 6, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. I'm not of any of those gods from Egypt. I am the God of your fathers. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And so the Lord goes on to tell him of all of the things that God wants to do in, in, in delivering them. So verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses is like, well, this is pretty cool. God, you're going to do that? That's nice. I'm really not connected to those people anymore. I had anything to do with them in 40 years. But it's great that you want to do that. Oh, boy. Verse 10. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Everything was fine until then. Now, this morning, look, as, as we look at this scripture, let's not think thousands of years ago to Moses. Let's think to December 13th, 2015, to you and me. Okay? Because on this day, in 2015, the call of God is in this place for each and every one of our lives. I mean, who was Moses? Okay. He was a Hebrew stepson to Pharaoh, who Pharaoh, upon his killing one Egyptian soldier, didn't say, oh, son, that's no big deal. You're son, the son of royalty. Just come on back to the house. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And so Moses had to flee. Moses is a, a man without a country. And Israel is a country without a man. Moses is a man without a country, and Israel is a country without a man. Now, you think about that in terms of your families. Think about that in terms of your place of influence. And God has called every one of us to be that man, that woman, in that place, to declare the delivering power of his spirit. And so Moses, a nothing, a nothing. He's no different than anybody else. He's schlepping sheep, I love that word, on the backside of the desert. And suddenly, God interrupts his day. And hasn't God interrupted every one of our days? 
not just so we have, as the song says, just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. I don't know why that song could be written. Just a few more weary days and then. We'll just endure till Jesus comes. No, 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 no. And so God says, Moses, you are my man. And doesn't Moses have every argument possible to say, oh no, you must have shown up at the wrong location. You got the wrong shepherd, you got the wrong something here. But look at what Moses does, interesting. Three questions here, I've got them in your notes. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 11, verse 13. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Chapter four, verse one. What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? Now, God doesn't listen to any of these, truly. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God's answer to that would have been, it doesn't matter who you are. I have called you. It doesn't matter. The calling is for you, Moses. Again, we're in the present tense here. Moses, thousand years ago, me, you and me today. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how articulate you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter what your past is. I've called you. Not because of you. You understand that? Matter of fact, the stupider you are, the better you make me look. That's why I am here. Thank you, Lester. Now, they may say to me, what is his name? Again, they're looking for something of, of you know, the, the name meant a lot then. It wasn't just a name like Fred or Joe or Harry or Joan. That name meant something. What shall I say to them? What if they will not believe? See, Moses, everything about Moses here is how is he going to be received? Okay, May, uh, December 13th, a thousand years ago, how am I going to be received? Lord, I know you told me to that, but how am I going to be received? What if they don't believe? See, here's a challenge that you and I have, just like Moses had. Okay. Am I more concerned about the receptivity of what I say than I am being obedient to say what God tells me to say, to do what God tells me to do, to be where God calls me to be? Here we see Moses was all concerned about one thing. He was all about God delivering Israel, but he was not all about being the one through whom God would deliver Israel. Okay. The sideline, load seat, club level, about midway, just perfectly fine. But not on the 50-yard line with a bunch of 350-pound linemen. No, no, thank you. You and I need to hear this, okay? Because you are, and I am, the Moses that God is choosing where he has placed us. And we need, we need to see that. And we can be so much about us and so much about what we're doing and so much about our little, little territory, so much about our little dominion that we can miss that. So suddenly what we have here, we'll fast forward a little bit, Moses' life's work, seen in desert sand, 
now holy ground as its canvas. So if we're, we're going to see here, we're going to read this scripture. You'll see maybe a little bit more clearly what that innocuous statement means. Exodus 4, 2 through 5. The Lord said to Moses. Okay, so, the, so let's go back to verse 1 for a minute just so we get it. What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? That's an interesting statement. If this guy says he's coming, this bush says he's going to deliver Israel from Egypt, and he's asking, I mean, there's, he doesn't know that that's a branch in his hand? It was a staff. A staff's a branch, right? So at that moment, Moses could have been a little bit sarcastic, what is that in your hand? And he says, uh, staff. And then God says, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now, let's just look at this for a moment, okay? I just thought you guys would want to know that 10 out of 10 herpetologists recommend never picking up a snake by the tail, okay? The herpetologist, I, that was another, isn't that a great... You know what a herpetologist is, don't you? Of course. So you, you can imagine he has something to do with snakes. So look at this. Holy, so Moses, God tells Moses to take his staff and throw it on the ground. Now, here's what I want to look at for a few minutes. What does that staff represent to Moses? He's throwing on the ground. This desert sand is about to become a canvas it's going to be a painting of Moses' life. And he throws it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. So what does that staff represent in terms of Moses' life? Well, let's look at this for a minute. I've given you some blanks to fill in because I know it helps keep us awake. We can write. Okay. Holy ground reveals all that Moses' life represents through his staff at that time. That staff represents Moses' rest, okay? Long day, he's leaning on that staff, okay? He's getting moments of relief, maybe taking some of the pressure off of his back. I don't know, but he's holding on to that staff and it's a source of rest for him. It represents his protection, does it not? Okay, that staff, if some wolves come around or other animals come around, he is using that staff as an article of protection. It represents his provision. He made a living by caring for sheep. And so that staff represents his rest, 
it represents protection, it represents provision, it, it represents his identity before others. I am a shepherd. And people knew him now by that. And then, fifthly, it represented Moses' authority. He wielded his authority. He had great authority over sheep. Remember, an interesting thing, a little irony too about this is Egyptians had nothing to do with sheep. They wouldn't let sheep on the land. And Moses, this son of Pharaoh, that's now his occupation. Now, do, do you see, again, not thousands of years ago, but today, that no matter what happened in your past, no matter where you were, no matter what you experienced, no matter what the failure, God will work through that, even if he makes what you are now doing seemingly impossible for him to be glorified through it. And so Moses throws upon the ground his staff, that which represents his, his rest, his protection, his provision, his identity, his authority, and it turns into a snake. Now, what's, what's a snake represent in the scripture? <laughs> I can't think of anything positive. And so Moses sees his life and the power of himself on the ground, and it turns into a snake. And God says to him, now I want you to take this writhing snake, and I want you to pick it up by the tail. Now, maybe Moses at that moment thought, you know, this would be a good, this would be a good way to get out of this. Because, right? I mean, you pick it up by the, the, the tail, it bites you, you're dead. You can't, you don't have to deal with any of this going before Pharaoh and that, and that potential humiliation and sudden death. But he takes the snake by the tail and it suddenly becomes a staff again. Do you think it looked any different? It was the same staff. Full of splinters, I'm sure, not very, art, not very attractive, just a staff. But Moses picked up that staff that snake and it became a staff. But what we want us to see is that Moses found out, and I don't know how much Moses knew this. I have no idea if Moses grasped this at the moment. But again, Moses is looking at life like this. 40 years later, he's still a man that's looking at life on a natural transient level. And God is trying to take his vision and refocus him to look not at himself and what he does, whether son of Pharaoh or schlepper of sheep, but to see himself as one called by God, one who had every reason to have been put on the ash heap of history, but he wasn't. But to not trust in himself or his flesh, flesh to not trust that protection, provision, identity, authority, or rest was to come from himself, but was going to come from another, from God himself. That everything that that staff represented to Moses was about to be changed. 
Look at what Jeremiah says, 17, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness. That's interesting. In an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for, it leave, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. In Proverbs 28, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Who trusts in his own mind, not just, the, the English Standard Version is the only translation I could find that translates mind, that word mind there. It's really heart. I mean, every other translation is heart. The reason I bring that out is not just his own thinking, but his whole being, his whole conscious uh, way of thinking in life. And so God is confronting Moses first with how impressed he is with Moses' credentials. He wants to turn that. He wants to turn that in you and me as well. God was going to be to Moses what 80 years in the desert could not make him, had eluded him. And he wanted to show Moses, just like he wants to show you and me today, that he is to be our rest, he is to be our protection, he is to be our provision, he is to be our identity, and he is to be our authority, that we find in him all of these things. And I've given you several scriptures here to, to look at if you want to take some time later on uh, to look at those five different elements of that staff. Um, so what I want to do is I want to fast forward us here um, so that we see that the transforming power of God in our lives is present for today. Now, I don't, I don't have a handout with me, but I just want to go forward, just forward to what's in let me see your notes just for a minute. Mm -hmm. Oh, let me just, let's go to page four. But I do, want, I do want to encourage you to take some time today just to see that, to meditate on that. Lord, where am I finding my rest, my protection, my provision, my identity, my authority? See, because I would say that God would be asking you and me the same question today. Not what's in your wallet, but what's in your hand. What is that in your hand? And throw it down and see what on God's holy ground it becomes. Where we're finding our rest, our protection, our provision, our identity, our authority. See. Through the ages, God puts this question out in one form or another to us all. Where are you and I finding our identity? Where, what to what are you and I trusting? In what are you and I trusting? See, Moses' staff had a new owner, and so does the one who holds that staff. The staff had a new owner, and Moses had a new owner. Look what Exodus 4.20 says. 
So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took, do you see that? It had never been called that before. Moses probably never called it that before. But it's not Moses' staff anymore. It's God's staff. Because God is our rest. See, if you, if you do want to turn back just for a second, what I did was I took um, on rest, and I wanted us to see that when we talk about God being rest, we see the scripture calls him Jehovah Shalom, right? Because where there is no peace, guess what there is not? There's no rest. Our protection, he is El Shaddai. Okay. He is, in our terms of provision, he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. In our identity, he is Jehovah Emkadesh. He is Jehovah our righteousness, Jehovah our sanctification. And then authority, he is God over all. And he so wants that revelation to be ours, not just some cool information. He wants you and me to live from that from that place that he is now taken up in us. So Moses' staff has a new owner. Moses has a new owner. And Moses himself really was the staff in God's hands. The staff is just a prop. But the staff represents something else as well. A piece of wood upon which would hang the hopes of Israel. Through that staff, God would do incredible things through a piece of wood. And just as the hopes of Israel hang upon that piece of wood, we hear Jesus say, just as Moses raised up the serpent on a piece of wood, so must the Son of Man be raised up. And so we even see Jesus in this. See, at all times, in all places, Moses was now God's vessel to be used for his glory. To Israel, a liberator. To Egypt, a destroyer. To that which was God's freedom. To that which was God's enemy, destruction. Well, what does that say of our ministry today in light of our calling in Christ? Last week we talked about being a fragrant aroma of Christ to God, to those who have life, life to those who have death, death. For you and me to see that as the priests of God, which we are, we carry about in our bodies the rest of God, the provision of God, the protection of God, the identity and authority of God. That is what you and I literally today have that we don't have to ask for. It's what by virtue of the fact that the Son of God lives in us, that is ours to avail ourselves of, to not find our rest in the things of this world, grateful for them, but not to find our rest in them or our identity or provision in them, but to see that God has put you and me on this planet to declare something of how great he is because he has placed himself in us to do that.
And so what is in your hand? Do we dare throw it down before God? That we may see something in humility that we need to see but are afraid to see? That maybe we've been living life out of the power of the flesh. We've not been trusting. We're afraid. I mean, the other night if I'd have thrown my computer on the ground, it would have turned into a serpent. Um, and I would have, I don't know what I would have done. See, but to see this, to see that God has placed you and me where he has placed us, to go into Egypt, to declare how great he is. Now look at this, this last this quote from Charles Spurgeon, and then we'll pray. To a man who lives under God, nothing is secular, everything is sacred. Do you, do you understand what that means when I say that? Nothing is, nothing's just about me. Nothing's just about the world as it is for a temporary period of time. Everything is secular. In other words, nothing's for me. Everything is for God. He puts on his workday garment, and it is a vestment to him as a, as a priest. He sits down to his meal, and it is a sacrament. He goes forth to his labor and therein exercises the office of the priesthood. His breath is incense, and his life a sacrifice. He sleeps on the bosom of God and lives and moves in the divine presence. Let me, I have to read that again. He sleeps on the bosom of God and lives and moves in the divine presence. To draw a hard and fast line and say, this is sacred, and this, this is secular, is, in my mind, diametrically opposed to the teachings of Christ and to the spirit of the gospel. As we, as we just took a very brief look at, at Moses and what something of what the Lord, I believe, wanted to show us today in terms of where Moses was finding our identity and the Lord lovingly corrected him so that he could be about what God called him to. Um, that you and I could see this very same thing in the context of our lives. That God is a redeeming God, a restoring God, a reviving God, an empowering God. That you and I would not look at, this is all I'm doing. Because everything about Moses as he's questioning God was about, will they accept me? Will they believe me? Because was Moses' concern was about himself. If we throw our lives down before God, God then gets the glory as he empowers us and works in us to reveal himself through us. For that is life. For me to live, Paul said, is Christ. Well, let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you now because um, if there were a staff in my hand and I threw it onto your holy ground, I'm not so sure what it would become. 
whether I'm living in the power of the flesh, the power of the spirit, Lord, that you know. But Lord, right now, regardless, I pray that you would speak to every one of our hearts in this room. Reveal to us, Lord, where we're living out of the power of the flesh, more concerned about the acceptance of man and even ourselves than we are obedience to you. Please, Lord, because life for we who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb is now for you. And so I pray even now, Lord, in this moment, in this moment, open our eyes to see what is in my hand. What am I holding onto, gripping onto, and thereby not allowing you to take up your way and your purposes and your power through me. Lord, we say with Isaiah this morning, here I am for your glory, for your exaltation, for your purposes, whether we live or die, here I am. Send me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Okay, Jason will be here next week.